dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good. I'm happy to be talking to you again. We didn't record last week, and it felt weird. I agree. I have been waiting for this with great anticipation. I'm really excited (laughs) to talk about The Joy Luck Club today. Me too. I love this book so much. It's a great one. And we didn't plan this, but this episode will be coming out right around Mother's Day, and we both think that's pretty perfect. And so, Chelsea, I'm wondering, who is your favorite literary mother or mother figure? The ones that come to mind are typically from classics, but there are so many contemporary reads that depict motherhood that I really, really love. It's just that when I'm on the spot, I never think of them. So the ones that really come to my mind are Marilla Cuthbert is certainly one of my favorite motherly figures. I also love that she is not a biological mother, but she truly embodies motherhood towards Anne. And I really like that sweet relationship. And then Not that I would want her to be my mom, but I really love reading about Mrs. Bennett, and I think she's such a fun literary mom to read about. (laughs) What about you, Sarah? I second your love for both of those mothers, for sure. Particularly Mrs. Bennett. I think she gets a bad rap because she's so ridiculous, but the more I read Pride and Prejudice, the more I realize that she really is the only one looking out for her daughter's (laughs) well-being. Even though we might not agree with how she goes about it, she's really trying to do what she thinks is best. So yes to Mrs. Bennett. Another beloved mother in classic lit is, of course, Marmy and Little Women. Neither you nor (laughs) I have warm feelings for that particular book, but I really loved the way Laura Dern brought her to life in the new movie. Yes. Laura Dern, Marmy, sure. Book Marmy, I cannot stand. (laughs) Fair enough. We'll get to that more, obviously, when we inevitably do a Little Women episode. Of course. One of the contemporary books about motherhood that I've really enjoyed is Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Not necessarily for any one particular mother, but just how wide a variety of types of motherhood the book shows. I find that to be really lovely just acknowledging that there are so many different ways to be a mother or to not be a mother and to make that choice as well. Have you started watching the Hulu series yet? Not yet. Have you? No, I've heard it's really good, but I've also heard it's pretty different from the book, but not in a bad way necessarily. So I'm curious to hear how people interpret it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it has a fantastic cast. So I'm excited to watch it. I don't I don't know what's been keeping me from it. Actually, I do know. My Hulu app on my TV crashes all the time, so I'm always... <laughs> it takes a lot for me to finally commit to watching a Hulu show. <laughs> this is not the time, Hulu. Exactly. You need to stop crashing. Yeah. So there's just something about mother-daughter relationships that really captures literary and pop culture imaginations. There are some TV shows, one in particular, that we both love about mothers and daughters. Gilmore Girls, of course. Of course. And that show in itself has so many different depictions of mothers and daughters and their relationships. It's not just the, you know, main Lorelai and Rory relationship. There are so many different depictions in there. I just really love that show. That's been my comfort watch lately. I've probably rewatched the series a solid five or six times, but it might be time for another one. I highly recommend it. But I I think for whatever reason, mother-daughter relationships can be really complex and they're they're just really fruitful for examination. I think that the way that families 
Maybe it's because it seems like mothers are often the keepers of memories for their families. And of course, you know, not every family has a mother or a mother figure in it, but just generally speaking, in families where there is a mom, I think that very often it's expected that she's like the memory keeper. She's the one who's going to make the scrapbook. She's the one who's going to tell the story of when you were a baby at the din- you know, at the dinner table when you have your new boyfriend or girlfriend over. <laughs> and I think that that's partly why literature in particular really focuses on these mother-daughter relationships because mothers are sort of hanging on to this generational thread and that it seems like there's just this special way that things are passed down in that relationship. I think that's so beautifully said and very true. And I I think you're right that so many authors love to include reflections about the power of storytelling in their own work. And so with storytelling's connection to motherhood and ancestry, we see some of those themes in a lot of really wonderful books. And the one we're talking about today, I think, is a particularly gorgeous depiction of mother-daughter relationships. I totally agree. So today we are talking about The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. And before The Joy Luck Club was published in March of 1989, Amy Tan told her husband that her novel would be on bookstore shelves for about six weeks and then disappear into the shredder. However, this modern classic remained at the top of the New York Times bestseller list for more than half a year, and it remains relevant to readers today. Tan describes her book as a short story collection, but the stories can be read separately or when read together, these stories create a full narrative arc connected by the Joy Luck Club, which is a group of Chinese women who gather to tell stories and play mahjong and support one another. These are 16 interwoven stories featuring Chinese immigrant mothers and their Chinese American daughters. The stories explore the mother's past lives, their hopes for their children, the daughter's struggles with their identities, and the complex relationships between them all. If you've never read The Joy Luck Club in its entirety, you might remember reading The Rules of the Game as a short story in middle school or high school. It's often found in those English textbooks. But we highly recommend picking this one up. It's beautifully written. It is fiction, but it reads very much like a memoir, and it is truly a classic. It is. It's definitely a classic in every sense of the word. I did read, as you mentioned, a lot of people do, I did read the rules of the game somewhere in my high school or middle school curriculum. I'm not quite sure where, but unfortunately didn't read the novel until I was an adult, How about you, Chelsea? When did you first read this collection in its entirety? Same experience where I know I read the rules of the game probably in middle school, but I did not read the full book until grad school and actually read it for a creative writing course rather than a literary course. So the text served as sort of one of our model texts and I think that that really made for a different reading experience because I was looking for much different things during my reading than I would if I had read it for a literary course. I was really looking more at the structure and the craft and Amy Tan's writing style. And certainly it's a beautifully written book, so it totally makes sense for a creative writing class. Yeah, it is gorgeously written. And I can't believe this was her first novel and that she wrote it when she was 33 and hadn't really written anything before. That is so cool and really remarkable. It is clear that she's a really gifted storyteller, and I just really love this collection. I do, I have to say, I'm not often a short story reader, but I love a collection of short stories that comes together in a narrative way or a narrative that is told sort of like short stories. So another example of this that I was thinking of is like The Disappearing Earth by Julia Phillips, which is a book that I know you loved. I loved it so much. Where each chapter is a different story, but they all are tied together with a thread and the beginning and end sort of 
goes together. And I love that structure so much. I agree. Homegoing is another one that does that. So good. So there are two extra pairings for you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I read this book right after I finished grad school because I'd gotten a teaching job at my school where I still am. And I had inherited a curriculum for a women in literature class. And the Joy Luck Club was one of the books in the curriculum, and I'd never read it before. And (laughs) if you're not a teacher, that might sound surprising to you that sometimes your teachers taught you books that maybe they had never read before, (laughs) never learned anything about, and had, had to figure it all out on our own. But that happens all the time. And that was my experience with this one. And it was really enjoyable. I loved reading it. I read it the summer before I started teaching and then reread it along with my students that first year. And I loved teaching it. They really enjoyed reading it. It's a great book to teach because of the structure. You can kind of divide up the stories among students and have them become experts in certain characters and certain stories and teach those stories to their classmates. And I also felt some pressure and good pressure, I think, because this book when I inherited women in literature was the only book by a woman of color in the curriculum and I'm pretty sure it was the only book by an Asian author that any of my students had read for school up until that point and these were seniors so as a white teacher that is also a little bit trying but also really important so you've had those experiences too I know Chelsea so what are some of your strategies or insights into approaching texts that are from a different culture and perspective than your own? My approach, whether I'm teaching or reading, is pretty similar. The first goal, I think, is to decenter myself as much as I possibly can. And sometimes that means reading as many own voices reviews as possible before or after I read the book. It might mean reading plenty of interviews with the author or doing some of my own historical background for context and research and not expecting all of that to just be handed to me in the book necessarily. And in terms of modeling that for students, I think it just means being really upfront with them about not being an expert by any means and sharing that it is okay to be learning alongside of them. And, you know, I think that's probably how we want to share this experience with our podcast listeners as well, that we're, we are, you know, perhaps experts in literary analysis, I would like to say, (laughs) after a couple of graduate degrees between us. But that doesn't mean that we're the expert on every experience in every book by any means. Definitely not. And so it's okay to just be learning. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I think you're so right that when I think about approaching a text that is from a different perspective, listening to, reading, uh, own voices, reviews is very important to me. It not only helps me see my blind spots, but also it allows and enriches my reading experience and helps me appreciate and get so much more out of a work than I might otherwise, but also, like you said, decentering my own experience, which as a white reader is not something I have to do particularly often. And it's really important to experience that, I think. And in the teaching world, we talk about how we want all of our students to have books in the curriculum that are window books and books that are mirror books. And mirror books allow students to see themselves and their experiences reflected in the text. And window books allow students to see different experiences and cultures and perspectives in their texts. And most teachers, I think, I hope, (laughs) would say that it's essential for all students to have both of those types of books throughout their education. Yes, I definitely agree. There's something really powerful about 
students seeing themselves on the page. And of course, there have been so many studies, and we just know from personal experience as readers that books are a great way to exercise empathy. We can build empathy for other people by putting, literally putting ourselves in their shoes when we read. There are very few experiences where you get to read and insert yourself in a story and truly feel what the characters are feeling and be in the narrative in that way. And that really stretches our empathy muscles. And empathy, I think, is just such an important component of this understanding of, you know, dissecting your own biases and just working on your world's view and perspective. Yeah, it's something that I think we never master and can always be working towards and trying to improve and expand our scope and our capacity for empathy. And that often when I think about the big long-term goals of teaching English, that is one of them for me. Like if my students don't remember what happened in the Scarlet Letter in 10 years, I don't care at all. (laughs) But (laughs) I want them to still be empathetic and expanding and practicing their empathy in 10 years. So books that broaden our worldview and allow us to engage in empathy are so important in high school and well beyond. Absolutely. 100% agree. And I think that this book is really well suited for high school readers. I think it's a great book to teach in the high school classroom. It is. I really enjoyed it. They, I teach at an all-girls school. So in particular, a book that's all about women and women's relationships with each other went over very well. This book actually isn't in our women in lit curriculum anymore because we moved it into the American literature curriculum, which is great because women in lit is an elective. And so students opt into it and hopefully more students get to experience this one now. And it also allows us to broaden our definition of American literature, which is an ongoing battle and extremely important to me. Yeah, I love that move. I also just think that this book really questions what it means to be American and questions the American dream in a way that makes it so perfect for a course like that. I agree. So with all of that in mind and knowing that we both really love this book and feel so warmly towards it, this is a somewhat difficult book to have a discussion about because it's composed of 16 short stories and it would be impossible for us to get into all of them but Chelsea do you want to talk a little bit about which story or plot line has stuck with you the most so one of the stories or the sort of pairings rather that is just really seared in my brain and really stands out to me is Jingmei Wu or June and her mother, the Wu women. This is one of the stories I listened to an abridged version of the audio book, and this story definitely made it in. And I understand why this is sort of the frame for the whole book. So we open with June being invited to play Mahjong with her mother's friends, and they sort of send her on a quest. And I just have to share that in an interview with Amy Tan, she shared this, and I'm going to read it word for word so I don't miss any of the details, but Amy Tan said, My relationship with my mother has much to do with each story. Shortly after I started writing fiction, my mother suffered what I was told was a heart attack. In those moments when I thought she might have died, I promised that if she lived, I would go to China with her meet her other daughters from her first marriage, and beg her to tell me the stories I have avoided hearing all of my life. That was the reason I went to China, why I started with a story about a daughter who has just lost her mother and who later travels for the first time to China and meets her half-sisters who are left behind. The stories are not a mirror of either me or my mother. They are more like refractions, different angles of some part of us, a bending of what really happened. 
And I just really love that backstory. And that's truly the story of Jingmei Wu and her mother. And I just love that it is inspired by truth like that. I love that so much. I read the same interview and I knew a little bit of this, but I I think she expanded on that story a bit in the introduction to the 30th anniversary edition. And I thought that was so fascinating because you can really just see that connection to her mother in the stories, but also not this idyllic, perfect connection to her mother, this really, this ebb and flow of their relationship and what she took for granted and what annoyed her and continues to annoy her but what she loves and values about her mother as well. And I just think she nails that complicated feeling. Yes. And in the interviews that I've read with Amy Tan, she she resists people who want to say, oh, this is a memoir. When, you know, she has said, oh, these are the details that really inspired it. And there's a lot of truth in this. She resists people trying to say, well, you just are, you know, writing a memoir. She really says that writing fiction for her is such a way to process her emotions and process the past and get to the truth. And she says there is a deeper truth in fiction that is absolutely true to my life. And I just love, I mean, that phrase alone is so genius, but... (laughs) I love that so much. It reminds me a lot of the Tim O'Brien quote from The Things They Carried that story truth is truer sometimes than happening truth. It's so powerful. And I think that is what draws so many readers to fiction and makes us fall in love. That idea that there is a deeper truth in what we're reading. Absolutely. So Sarah, which story stands out most to you? I really love Rose Shoes stories. There are two stories from her perspective. One when she's more of a child and the other more from her adult life. And I find them both to be extremely poignant and tragic. So Half and Half is the first one and it's a really difficult read, but also hard to look away. Every time I read this book, which I mean, isn't a million times, this is the third time I've read it. So, (laughs) (laughs) but each time I read it, I am like frantically flipping the pages of the story, trying to find out what happens to, it's about a missing child. And it's just so sad. And I want it to turn out differently every time. And I think that's a sign of a really well done story is that she makes you feel like it could turn out differently but it doesn't of course and I think Tan describes grief and loss so well in that story and then I love how she comes back to Rose as an adult and Rose is on the verge or in the process of getting a divorce from a man who has really controlled her entire life and Rose is convinced that her mother wants her to fight to save her marriage and Rose doesn't want to do that and she's struggling with her perception of what her mother wants her to do and really it turns out that her mother just wants Rose to fight to save herself whatever that means to Rose she wants her to use her voice she says and speak her mind and she worries Rose's mother on May worries that she didn't teach Rose to stand up for herself enough. And to see that kind of hopeful bent to the story is really lovely. I love that story too. I mean, I just, I truly love all of them. They're, this whole entire book is so, I can't say it enough that how wonderful it is. But yeah, that one in particular really highlights sort of how miscommunications can happen in relationships and we don't always assume that our family has the best intentions for us and that can really lead to such 
missed communication and when wires get crossed like that it can be really painful but that story just and I mean it really ends up being heartwarming when they finally do sort of share what's on their hearts together it is and I do really appreciate that this book is hopeful there's a lot of hard stuff in it and I think often as a teacher there are so many classics that we put into the hands of students that are so dark and really depressing and it's so lovely and enjoyable to get to share a book with students but also get to read a book as an adult that deals with the hard things it doesn't sugarcoat anything but it's hopeful and heartwarming and shows the human capacity for change and growth in a really phenomenal way that's such a good point and I absolutely love the hopefulness too but yeah it is probably good good to note that there really is a lot of violence and there is assault and rape on the page and there are the horrors of war a ton of heartbreak so it it really can get very dark but it doesn't stay there but those things are probably important to know going in just for people who sort of have triggers for some of those things or you know just to know what to expect but it doesn't stay in that dark place but it is re- there is a lot <laughs> yeah there is I, I think that's a really important note and I also think that is why I think the book should be read in its entirety is each of these stories comes to a conclusion and as you said can be read on its own but some of the hopefulness and redemption for characters might come several stories later and so I like reading the whole thing and putting that together and seeing the full arc of each character that's a really good point so Maybe this is a good time to just get a little bit more into the structure of this book. There are four sections and each one opens up with a Chinese fable and then it shifts to the stories of four mothers and four daughters. So four sections, you know, do the math for 16 total. (laughs) But I think something special about the way that this story goes back and forth between mothers and daughters and gives their perspective but then also sort of weaves them all together is that at its core this book the joy luck club is about this club where women meet to tell their histories and to reminisce about the past and to share what's going on in their lives and to help one another and it's this really beautiful story of friendship it is I am kind of embarrassed about this, but I often talk about how much I love books about female friendship and how I'm always on the hunt for more books that depict that. And even though I've read this book a couple of times, this one has never come to mind, I think because I so think of it as a book about mothers and daughters. And it is, but oh my goodness, this is one of the most powerful representations of female friendship I've ever read, certainly in a classic, but even compared to more contemporary reads as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm in the same boat where I really did not think too much about the friendships prior to this reading, but maybe I maybe it's just the place that I am in my life right now. I've been talking to my I've been talking to my friends, my female friends, and building those friendships more over the last couple of weeks than I have in months. And maybe that's just what's on my mind right now, but particularly the opening and the way that these women gather around a daughter who's mourning the loss of her mother and they sort of say, you know, we will support you and you still have family here. It's just something about that that's so powerful and almost there's some magic to it. There's that like real life magic to it. That's so beautifully said. It It is magical. And this is a decades-long friendship. This club has been meeting for decades and kind of 
pooling their resources, both in terms of money and food, and but also in terms of stories and advice and connection. And it's really, I mean, they don't always get along perfectly. And it's really fun to see the competitiveness come out because I, I think that is very real. But I think that often in depictions of female friendship, we either see this like sweet kindred spirit kind of friendship like Anne of Green Gables or we see mean girls and often the reality is somewhere in between those. You can love someone deeply and want the best for them and still feel small when something good happens in their life and something bad happens in yours. Totally and you can have different parenting styles that conflict with your friends and you can sort of judge them a little bit even though you love them dearly and yeah there's just the way that Amy Tan manages to get to the heart of it and depict true real human emotion in this book is just really something and I I just really love that this group Sometimes the husbands are invited in and it's like a full family affair. Sometimes it's like, hey, girls only. We need our (laughs) separation. And I particularly just love that they always have – so they they play this game and they collect money, you know, just like you would at like a poker game or whatever – And they, instead of taking the winnings, they just save them in sort of a pot. And then, you know, when someone needs something, they take out their winnings and they provide for each other in that way. And I just, I don't know if, maybe it's because I don't have that right now, where I don't have a group of friends to gather with for that. But there's just something really, I don't know, my heart longs for that. And I can see particularly why these women who immigrated and, you know, need a sense of community totally need their friends in order to get through and have that safe place. Yes, I agree. I think it's really aspirational. I mean, I think often we read books where the romantic relationships make us yearn for that in our own lives. And in this one, it's the friendships. You see that depiction, you're like, oh, I want that. I want that in my life. So one other thing that I was curious to talk about, because I do think that you are specifically drawn to books about the immigrant experience in your literary fiction, just from what I've seen Me. of your book reviews. Oh, I guess Don't I you am. Think? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I am. I think in part that is because I've, this is the first year I haven't taught American literature since starting teaching. And I'm always looking to broaden my view of the American narrative and the American experience so that I can broaden my students' view. So, yeah, I, I guess I I wouldn't have said that I intentionally seek those out, but those are, are often the stories that really stick with me. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that I don't like those stories because <laughs> I really do, but I just, I think that your tastes lean a little bit more literary where some of these stories live than mine do, but I was just, especially after this reread, thinking about, because since I've read this book, I have read more stories of the immigrant experience. And so I was really thinking about how this one seems to have really paved the way for almost a whole genre of, of books that really delve into immigrant families and delve into sort of the complex relationships between parents and children. And so I'm, I guess I'm just curious to hear if there are any themes that you saw in the Joy Luck Club that you really notice in other books as well. Of course, when we say immigrant experience, we know that that is so broad and that there are thousands of different cultural experiences that that can encompass. But just hearing from own voices reviewers and you know reading these books there there are some common threads particularly if we're reading books about people who have immigrated to America and i'm just curious you know where this book really fits in to to that 
genre, it just seems to me like it was a really important first. Yeah, I think you're right. It does a couple of things really, really well. I think that maybe got the book into more readers' hands than would have otherwise picked it up. One, I think, is that it is told through multiple perspectives. So there's a great TED Talk by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie about the danger of a single story. And if we only read in our lives one book from a particular perspective, then we're limiting ourselves to a single story. And so I love it when a book works against the single story in and of itself. So we're getting lots of different perspectives on what it means to be a Chinese immigrant and a Chinese American in this book. And I think that is really cool. I also really love just its depiction of like the liminal space that it seems like a lot of immigrant narratives explore where these daughters, many of them feel like when they're in America, they're perceived as Chinese. And when they're in China, they're perceived as American. And therefore, they don't feel like they fully belong in any one place. I think that is a really common theme in a lot of immigration narratives. And I think Amy Tan does a really good job of depicting that. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. And I think every point that you made, she just does such a good job of showing it in this beautiful narrative form in a really engaging way that, I mean, the emotions and the the impacts are obvious to the reader, but certainly subtle. And I mean, any time that you can teach someone through storytelling is great and it's going to stick. And I think that this book is just such an amazing example of storytelling. I completely agree. And as always, when we both particularly enjoy our classic that we're discussing, I'm even more excited than usual to hear what your pairings are for this one. So we will get to those after a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor. So earlier, I mentioned that I listened to an abridged version of the Joy Luck Club on audio before doing this episode, and I really loved Amy Tan's narration, and I got that one from the library. But in addition to the library, I get most of my audiobooks from Libro FM, and it's probably no secret by now that we really love <laughs> Libro FM here at Novel Pairings. Yes, we do, and especially as we're recording this. So many independent bookstores have shut down for social distancing measures, and a great way to support them during this time is through Libro FM. Libro FM is the only audiobook company that allows listeners to purchase audiobooks directly from their indie bookstores. So you can choose from tons of new releases and bestsellers, all for the same price as other audiobook subscription companies. Listeners, if you believe in supporting independent bookstores, now is the time to try Libro FM. Right now, you can get three audiobooks for $14.99. That's three audiobooks for the price of one with the code Novel Pairings. Just enter code Novel Pairings or click on the Libro FM link in our show notes. Okay, Sarah, I'm very, very excited to hear about your pairings and choices for this one, particularly because we loved this book so much. So I'm excited to sort of build my TBR list with your recommendations. Yeah, so interestingly, all three of my recommendations are books that I read in January of 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah, and as I read each one, and I knew that we had planned on doing this as one of our episodes, I was like, oh, this will be a great one for Joy Luck Club. <laughs> and then I picked up the next book on my TBR. I was like, oh, well, this one too. <laughs> so I don't know how that happened, but it just worked out like that. I love that. So what's the first one that you have on your list? My first pairing is Celestial Bodies by Joka Alharti. This is an absolutely stunning book, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. It won the Booker International Prize last year, and it's the first book translated from Arabic to ever win that prize, which is pretty cool. It's by a 
woman from Oman, and it takes place in Oman that is rapidly changing. I didn't know really much at all about Omani history going into this book, but Oman is a country that became extremely wealthy in the 1960s through the oil industry, but it's also a country that didn't ban slavery until the 1970s. So it just was a it's just a place that experienced tremendous progression and growth all at once and kind of became not quite westernized but much more an international player all of a sudden. So Amidst this setting, the novel primarily follows three sisters from an upper-class family, and while in some sense they're encouraged to modify their behaviors to fit the times, for example, they all receive a good education, they're still really expected to follow traditional standards for womanhood and femininity. The book follows them as they grow up and make decisions about their careers and marriages and as they struggle to keep one foot firmly rooted in tradition and the other in an ever-changing cultural landscape. And it's that particular tension that makes me want to pair this with the Joy Luck Club. Even though Celestial Bodies isn't about immigration, there's still this cultural upheaval between generations that makes it difficult for parents and children to understand each other, even as they really desire what's best for each other. So with all of that said, this really lovely book is a challenging read in terms of concentration. I just found this was one that I really had to say every word of the sentence in my head as I was reading to pick up on the full meaning of the book. It has a fluid timeline and some of the chapters are told in a kind of dreamlike sequence. So this is one of those reads where you like put in your earplugs, tune everything else out, and really immerse yourself in, but it really rewards a careful reading, and it's a truly beautiful book. So that's Celestial Bodies by Juka Alharti. And I know a lot of readers do reading challenges every year. Often some of those recommend a book in translation, so I think if people are looking for one of those, that sounds like a really good one to fit the bill. That's a great point. And I'll say that I was inspired to pick this up in part because I had a follower ask me on Instagram what my favorite book by an Arab author was, and I could hardly think of any. And I realized that was a huge blind spot in my own reading. And I'm so grateful that I picked this one up this year. And I really do highly recommend it when you feel like you have the time to concentrate on a book like this. Chelsea, what is your first pairing? The first book that I would like to pair is The Astonishing Color of After by Emily X.R. Pan. And in The Joy Luck Club, there's a plot in which on May, one of the Joy Luck Club moms, her mother dies by suicide. So that's sort of my launching point for this pairing, but it also involves a journey that I think is really similar to June Wu's. So in The Astonishing Color of After, Lee Chen Sanders travels to Taiwan to meet her maternal grandparents for the first time. She is also determined to go there to find her mother, who died by suicide, and Lee is convinced that her mother turned into a bird after her death. So she goes on this search for her mother, but it's really a search for identity and discovery for herself as well. She uncovers family secrets, she reconciles with her grief, and it alternates between past and present in a really beautiful way. And this book won the 2017 Asian Pacific American Award for Young Adult Literature. It's also highly recommended on a lot of young adult lists of like these are the book these are the books to read if you're going to read YA. It's also a little bit magical and I just think it pairs really well with the stories from the Joy Luck Club but also the literary tradition that was set forth by Amy Tan in her debut novel. And this is just a really stunning exploration of complicated, even taboo subjects in a young adult novel, which I think 
when we were talking about the Joy Luck Club and saying it's dark but hopeful, I think that YA is a genre that tends to nail that really well and get that balance right, and this is a really good example of that. I got this book from Book of the Month a couple years ago, I think. Maybe it's a couple years old. And I immediately took it to my classroom library, and it's lived there ever since and has been well-loved by several students, but it also means I haven't gotten the chance to read it yet, and I really would like to. All right, what is your next pairing, Sarah? My next pairing is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo. This is my favorite book that I've read so far in 2020. Ooh, high praise. Yes, I also read this in January, and it might end up being my number one book of the year. I think this one connects well with the Joy Luck Club, both structurally and thematically. Like the Joy Luck Club, it's told in interconnected short stories where we get to see characters from their own perspectives as well as through the perspectives of others. There are also significant mother-daughter relationships in this book and a focus on female friendships. That being said, I'm sure you can understand why it pairs so well with the Joy Luck Club, but it's a tough one to explain plot-wise, other than to say it follows 12 central characters, primarily Black women, in and around London, mostly in present day, although it does go back into a couple of the characters' ancestry, and so we see some historical stories as well. This book holds so many surprises, and it's really magical to see how all of the characters' lives intersect. It's also very much a story about identity and the intersections of race, class, gender, and sexuality that make us who we are. It also reckons with Britain's colonial past and the lingering effects of that on British citizens. So I'm making this sound like a very character-driven book, and it, it's really not. It is kind of a character study of these 12 figures, but so much plot happens in each story. So much happens in each of their lives in terms of relationships and celebrations and drama. Oh my gosh, so much drama in this book. It is fascinating, and just Evaristo finds ways to surprise readers like myself who feel like we've heard all of the mother-daughter stories there are to hear and nope she finds ways to still blow our minds and the book is really gorgeously written it's funny at times and truly heartwarming the end had me in tears because Evaristo brings everything together so beautifully it's a very satisfying and hopeful finish to this book one quick warning on the writing, she doesn't use periods. And a lot of people open the book and think, I can't read this. It's like one long poem. It's really not. She uses full sentences and it's clear where each sentence stops. But I actually had to go back and check to make sure that that was true through the whole book because I got so used to it that I assumed that that was only true for the first chapter. It's not. It is true for the whole book. I think, again, it's really easy to get used to, but if that is something that is off-putting to you as a reader, I've heard that the audiobook is really good, and then you don't have to look at a page with no periods, and the narrator can just stop when is appropriate for the sentence. I was thinking about the audio for this one just because it is a really long book. It is long. It goes very quickly, and my, my book club read this, and we have people who really love deep character studies and people who really more prefer fast-paced thrillers and everybody loved this book so it's long but it it flies by I have heard the audio is great though I think you would really like this one I just feel like it checks a lot of your boxes oh that's good to know I might go with the audio for that one yeah if you do let me know what you think of it because this is one I will want to revisit so maybe next round will be audio I will so the next book that I have on my list is American Born Chinese by Jean Luen Yang. Have you heard of this one? Yes. So our freshmen read this at my school, but I have never taught freshmen, so I haven't read or taught it. Yeah, I actually read it in high school. That's so and cool. 
Yeah, it's it's stuck with me. It's a really good young adult graphic novel. It was a National Book Award winner. And I think that this might have been like the very first graphic novel that I ever read too. So I do think it's a great text to teach, but it definitely requires a lot of context. So I'll explain that. There are three interwoven plot lines, very Joy Luck Club-esque. And in the first, the main character is Jin Wang, and he just moved to a new area. He is the only Chinese-American student at his new school, and he gets bullied. He falls in love with this all-American girl while dealing with those bullies and not having very many friends. The second thread is a take on the classic Chinese fable of the Monkey King, who is a kung fu master but isn't satisfied and wants to be a god, and so he goes on this quest to transform himself into a god. The third is set up like a sitcom, and that's kind of hard to explain except that the graphic novel includes things like laugh track in parentheses and just you if you open up the page you get like oh this is supposed to be a sitcom and Danny is a popular kid at school but every year his cousin comes to visit from China and every year Danny has to transfer to escape the embarrassment because his cousin is this over-the-top caricature his name I'm not going to say on the podcast because it is meant to sound like a racial slur and that's intentional And he is a complete and total stereotype. And so this is kind of jarring. But again, this is intentional. And this is what Yang wants to highlight and show with this graphic novel. So in a twist, all three of these stories come together. And like I said, it's just a book that has really stuck with me. I had a really great teacher that taught this book and it was a really good reading experience that I had in high school and it doesn't really deal with any mother-daughter relationships but I think between the folklore and the structure also the themes are definitely in line with the Joy Luck Club and I actually think that they would make such a good classroom pairing or like you said if the freshmen read this book and then they end up reading the Joy Luck Club later on I think that that's a really awesome trajectory for them to read. So I highly recommend picking this one up. Even I would say this is a good introduction to graphic novels. um, But if you love graphic novels and you haven't read it, or if you're looking for something for your classroom, I highly recommend American Born Chinese. This sounds so interesting. Yeah, I've heard the title of this and really didn't know much about it. I also think that pairs very well with my third pairing. My third pairing is called Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. This is a work of metafiction, which basically means it's a story within a story that makes readers question what's real and what's story and what's fiction and what's nonfiction and allows you to think about the nature of storytelling That's one of the reasons I think it pairs well with the Joy Luck Club. It's very much about what it means to tell a story, but done in a very different way. So here's how this one works. It's about Willis Wu, a young man living in Chinatown, where he's cast both literally in a television show and figuratively in terms of how he sees himself in his life as, quote, generic Asian man. But he spent his life dreaming about becoming, quote, kung fu guy. And he talks about how all of the men in Chinatown dream of being kung fu guy, which really means to him being the embodiment of what Western people want Asian men to be. So he's kind of reckoning with that throughout the book. And the book alternates between Willis's real life, which are told through kind of interior monologues, and then the life he leads as an extra on a Law & Order type TV show called Black & White. Black & White is a, as I said, Law & Order type show that features 
a black cop and a white cop and in some ways examines racial tensions in America while also being this like action drama on TV. So over the course of the novel, we learn more about Willis's family and the sacrifices they've made for him and to be immigrants in America, as well as the history of Chinese immigration to the U.S. in general. There's a lot of really important history in this book told in a really powerful but sometimes darkly funny way that makes it very accessible. And the other thing that this book does really, really well is it pushes back against the idea that to talk about race in America means to talk about blackness and whiteness, and it complicates that. And it's just a very unusual, fascinating, funny, and quick, I think the audiobook is four hours, read. So I highly recommend this one, even if hearing like, oh, metafiction, that sounds like something I don't want to touch. It It's very fun and playful, but addresses really important themes. And I think a lot of readers would enjoy this one. That totally sounds like a perfect pairing with American Born Chinese. Doesn't it? <laughs> I think I'm going to have to read American Born Chinese and you're going to have to read this one and then yeah. we'll have to have a little <laughs> book club. <laughs> I agree. And it just sounds so good. It sounds funny. It's really funny. It's hard to communicate the humor of a book in a synopsis, but I hope you'll trust me that it's laugh out loud funny. I do. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All right, Chelsea, what is your third pairing? My third pairing is Everything Here is Beautiful by Mira T. Lee. And this one has been on my TBR for way too long. Oh, I think you would really like it. I do. So this is a gorgeous book, as in the writing is gorgeous and the cover is so pretty. And it's about two Chinese-American sisters, Miranda and Lucia. And Miranda is very much like a mother to Lucia, who struggles with schizophrenia. And the depiction of mental illness in this book, it's not romanticized at all. It really explores the reality of living with a mental illness and also trying to care for someone who pushes you away or treats you in a certain way partially because of their mental illness. And I just think it's a really realistic portrayal of that. If you enjoy books with complex relationships that are more character focused, I would definitely recommend this one. It is told in alternating point of view between Lucia and Miranda, which is partially why I chose to pair it here, because you get these two different perspectives these sisters who, you know, are connected in so many ways, but are living very different realities, partly because of their life choices, and then partly because of this element of schizophrenia and Lucia hearing voices and just experiencing life in a completely different way from her sister. But I also think that the theme of caretaking and of having clashing perspectives and just female relationships in general really resonates between this book and the Joy Luck Club. And plus, it's just really beautifully written. And I don't always enjoy character-driven books, but I really liked this one partly just because the voices were really compelling and it's not super long, so it's just, I like a solid literary fiction pick that is, you know, under 350 pages. I don't even know if it's even 300, just because it's really satisfying, I think, to finish a work of literary fiction a little bit more quickly for some reason. I think that's true. I agree with that. Yeah, there's just something really satisfying about that. But I think that this is a really lovely book, and I just, I think... The pairing might not be obvious unless you read this one and the Joy Luck Club, but just the relationships, I think, really, the the motherly relationship between these sisters is, seems really similar to me. I love that. So all of these, I mean, I just really love 
hearing whatever you pair with our books, but all of those sound really good. I am super interested in picking up Interior Chinatown. I think you would really love it. I I love that I haven't read any of your pairings this week, and you haven't read any of mine. I think that's the first time. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that's that's happened. happened yet. Yeah, that's perfect, because now I have three new books to add to my list. Same. (laughs) And we also have some picks of the week to talk about. So what is your pick of the week? So my pick this week is a Netflix special or a Netflix show called Ugly Delicious. And it's with David Chang, who is a celebrity chef who kind of started with a hole-in-the-wall restaurant in New York City and now has this great kind of food empire but he's also just really good at talking about food and why food matters i'm pairing it with the joy luck club or picking it for this episode because i think that one of the elements about the book that i love that we didn't quite touch on is that importance of food and nourishing the people we love and also about how acceptance of food and understanding a particular food can help you understand a culture and a way of life in a really rich way. And that's really what this show, Ugly Delicious, is all about. So each episode, David Chang takes one particular type of food. So he's done episodes on pizza and curry and fried rice, and he explores the history of that food and why it matters to a particular culture. He looks at the sociology of food And he interviews people who love this food and who are experts in it. It's kind of similar to Anthony Bourdain's May He Rest in Peace show. (laughs) And I just love that idea of food being an entry point, much like books, into empathy and understanding. And my only caveat is don't watch this show if you're hungry because (laughs) (laughs) it can become a real problem when you turn it on at 11 at night and you had (laughs) dinner four hours ago and then you find yourself scrounging in the fridge. So it's really fun though. I love that. I think that particularly just right now as we're reaching for comfort books and comfort foods and comfort shows, that sounds like it would be perfect to get into. Yes. We've been watching it almost every night for a while. It was like the only thing we felt like we could Yeah, because there's no new season of British Bake Off for us right now. Really appalling. They, <laughs> they need to get on that. <laughs> I mean, I know there are seasons they've been withholding from the American audience, and they should just dump those for us. It's yeah. about time. I know. Do us a favor. <laughs> All right. How about you, Chelsea? What's your pick of the week? So this pick is not so much a suggestion as I'm sharing that this is a book I'm going to pick up soon. I got this one from Random House and I'm really excited to read it. I've heard really good things, read awesome reviews, but this book that I'm going to pick up soon is Minor Feelings, An Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. And it is an essay collection that blends memoir and cultural criticism and history to, you know, expose racial consciousness in America. And I am just really excited because this is my favorite style of essay and memoir. It sounds to me like that's a lot of why I loved Eloquent Rage so much was that it combined essay and cultural criticism and memoir so wonderfully and so I'm really excited to read this one. The author is a daughter of Korean immigrants and where the title comes from is that she grew up steeped in shame and suspicion and melancholy and then later she understood that those quote minor feelings actually occur when American optimism clashes with your reality and so that's where the title comes from and there's this dissonance that occurs and attention there and so she really finds that that is the key to explaining a lot of things for her and I think that that concept sounds so fascinating and I'm just really excited to read this essay collection and it sounds like 
a lot of it will sort of tie to some of the themes from Joy Luck Club. That sounds great. For more classic lit enthusiasm and podcast news, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Novel Pairings Pod. We would love to know whether you pick up the Joy Luck Club or any of the books that we mentioned today. So feel free to tag us if you do post those on social media. Tell your friends about the Novel Pairings podcast by writing a review on Apple Podcasts, or I would say even better yet, send them a link or share our most recent episode on social media with them. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How soon one tires of anything than of a book. We'll be back soon with an episode on Beloved by Toni Morrison.